well, you know, we all think about holidays and how fun they are. And the holidays coming up, and we're approaching Memorial Day, and we had Mother's Day, and then there's going to be Fourth of July, and of course we had Easter and New Year's, and of course Christmas. And you think about Christmas, we remember the time of the year when we think about the birth of Christ and God bringing the Savior into the world, the one born in Bethlehem indeed is the, is the Savior. And it was just at the right time, Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time God brought forth His Son. From the fall of Adam and Eve, we have seen in our study of Genesis that mankind is looking forward to the coming of the seed of woman, the one who is the Savior and the Messiah and the hope of the world, and the hope which is God's provision for sin and death. And at the right time, and some would say suddenly at the right time, he appears, this one man. Well, this evening as we look at this, we're seeing the consequences, really, seeing the lineage of Adam, and we see clearly the consequences, consequences of sin, death, and over and over they die. But in the midst of the death, there is the foreshadow of the hope of life. We see it in two people, Enoch and Noah, two men who walk with God. In these two, we see the hope, the, the hope of salvation and deliverance and, and all of those things. And we'll see it as we go through the passage, especially when we look at their names and what happened there. As we follow chapter 5, we've seen the descendants. In fact, in chapter 5 is the descendants through Seth, which is pretty amazing. We saw back in chapter 4 the descendants of Adam and Eve through Cain. And, and it was, we, you almost want to say godless because they moved away from God and they did their own thing. But at the end, there was Seth born and men began to call them upon the name of the Lord. And so we see this aspect from Adam to Seth and on down are those who seem to be the ones who are living for the Lord, the ones who believe and the ones who follow. And as we look at chapter 5, the truth comes out over and over and over again, they died. There is death, whether they're believer or unbeliever, they all die. In fact, God's promise in, in a second to, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, in the day that you eat from that fruit, die, and you shall surely die, and that's what happens. Well, as we begin, let's think back and let's see Adam and his offspring through Seth. And, and, and just chapter 5 says, begins with the book of the generations of Adam. This is his offspring through Seth, who is called the appointed one. Look at verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And it was great truth there that we're listening to the generations of Adam, but it's going to be, we're going to see in a minute it's coming through Seth. He says, in the days that God created man, we talked about this last time, over and over in the scripture, it's always creation. It's clear that man did not arrive. He was created. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, we get the details, but it's the same thing. God is the creator, man is the creation. Notice though it says he is made in the likeness of God, and that's true. We saw in the earlier chapters, we're made in the image of God. We're different than all other creatures, every, all the other creation. Man has a mind, emotion, and will, and the decision-making capacity, a concept of eternity. That's why I love Ecclesiastes when it says he's placed eternity in our hearts. And we, and we do. We know there's something more than this. We have the ability to fellowship with the living God. Man is the crown of creation. Man was made to have rule and dominion over the earth, everything, over the animals and over the plants, over the, all, re, all the resources. So man was made in the image of the living God. In verse 2, he said he, he created them male and female. He blessed them and named them man out of mind the day that they were created. Then he goes in verse 3 and says, When Adam had lived 130 years, and we talked about this last time, because we don't know how old Adam and Eve were when they had Abel and then Cain and all of this, but he's 130 years old when he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and he named him Seth. Now, we brought this out last week that... Um, if you're thinking, okay, they had Cain, Abel, and then 130 years passed and they had Seth, I want you to understand they probably had many more children in between all this. That I, We're going to highlight Seth because Seth is the one, if you go back to verse 26 of chapter 4, that when Seth was born and, 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 had, a, and had a son and they called him Enish and men became 
begin to call upon the name of the Lord. We're seeing this idea of these are the generations of those who are following God. And so there's no telling how many children Adam and Eve had. And so at age 130, he has a son, and his name is Seth. And the thing about it, what notice this. It says that he had a son in his own likeness. And so we see really a, a concept that we're made in the image of God, Psalm 139, but we're also made in the image of fallen man, Adam, which is Romans chapter 5. And so it's kind of a powerful thing. There's sin, which is the fall of man. We're in the likeness of Adam, and, and we're like God in the sense that we have a mind, a motion, a will, and a concept of eternity. But we're like Adam in the sense that we're no longer able to comprehend all the spiritual aspects. That's why 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural man doesn't even understand the things of God. And we talked about that a little bit last week. We're seeing the offspring of Adam. And as we begin to go through this section, we're seeing this listing. And I told you last week that John Davies, he wrote a book called From Paradise to Prison. It's a, it's a great book. on the It's a commentary on the book of Genesis. He said Genesis 5 is like, uh, is reading Genesis 5 is like walking through a cemetery. But there's some good things there. We move from Adam to Noah. And as we see these people, we talked about it last time, as we see these people, we see the value of the individual. Because they list all these names. And you know what you could do? You could say, listen, no sense in listing all those names. Why don't you just talk about maybe Methuselah because he lived so long? Why don't you talk about Enoch because he was so special? Why don't you talk about Noah? Let's forget the rest of these. But God says, no, no, no. Each individual is special and unique. That's why they're listed. Sometimes, you know, we'll get in the Bible and you'll get over there maybe in First and Second Chronicles. And if you've ever started First Chronicles, I mean, I mean, have you ever looked at First Chronicles? First Chronicles starts off and goes, Adam, Seth, Enish, Kenan, and it just goes down for verses. 28, 29, 30, 31, 30, the whole first chapter, the whole second chapter, the whole third chapter. You, you're just, it's just nothing but list. That's why it's called the Chronicles. Most people say, I, I just, I think I'm going to get on up a little bit further up here to look at things. But what if you were listed there? Wouldn't you want to say, hey, everybody go. I'm over here. I'm in chapter 4. I'm on verse 41. Wouldn't you, what, if your name was there, if you were there, wouldn't you want it? You're going to get to heaven and some guy's going to say, you didn't even read my list. You didn't even read my name. I'm in the Bible. You didn't even read me. And you'd say, well, it was just a list of names. It was just a what? A list of names? Is that all we are? A list of names? No. Each individual is unique and special. We see the value of the individual. We see the life of Seth and his descendants, those who are following God. We continue to see the reign of death for all mankind as we go through this. Now, look at verse 5. Excuse me, verse 4. The days of Adam, then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters, so that all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So we see this about Adam, made in the image of God, the fall, the offspring, made in his own image. He lived 930 years. But in the midst of all of this death, there are two people that stand out. They're Enoch and Noah, and both men walk with God. Now, last week we went all the way to about, we actually got to verse 21 and talked just, to, just briefly about Enoch. But let's, let's look there. Go on to verse 21. And uh, In fact, if you see it, Jared was the man who was the father of Enoch, and he lived 962 years. Only one person, the best we can tell in the Scripture, lived longer than, than this man named Jared, and that was Methuselah. So notice this. 
Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Now, when we think of Methuselah, people always made the thing, oh, he's old as Methuselah, because Methuselah is listed at 969 years, and that's the oldest person that we can find in the scriptures for his, who lived on the earth. Uh, he's famous. His name has the idea of his, that his death will bring. That's sort of what it means, his death will bring. And it, it, something's going to happen when Methuselah dies, and we'll talk about it especially more next week or, or next time. Let's put it that way. But notice this. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. And he had all kind of kids. So you can't say Enoch had just, uh, that he had just had Methuselah. No, he had all kind of sons and daughters. But Methuselah is the one he wants us to remember. What does it mean? And this is the question that's the key. What does it mean to walk with God? Because it says Enoch walked with God. You notice that none of the others, he doesn't say that Kenan walked with God and Malhalal walked with God and, and, and Enosh walked with God. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say Jared walked with God. It says Enoch walked with God. What does it mean? Well, some have said that it has that idea to maintain that fellowship, to be in a close company. The Septuagint, which is the Old Testament written in Greek, takes a Greek word which means Enoch, and it says Enoch was well-pleasing to God. I quoted this last week, and Martin Luther said, he was not a mere talker about God, but he was a walker with God. Sometimes we're talkers and sometimes we're walkers. And I think what we want to be is walkers, walkers and talkers. But that's what we see. It's a special term. I think walking with God and walk, you know, walk with God has that idea of, of a fellowship and a close association. I mentioned last week that probably if I was trying to put something in the, you know, in the New Testament with the tie in that, might be that Greek word metakoi, which means the partners, the ones who are close. And so I think he's given us an idea that this Enoch guy, this Enoch who walked with God. Now, uh, it, it's you know it's a special term because in the New Testament it talks about walking. It says Colossians two six as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord so walk ye in Him. How did we receive Christ? By what? By faith, and so it's a walk of faith, and that's one of the keys. And most people say that Enoch walked with God, a man who who believed God. Notice verse. Um, 22, again, says Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. If we stopped reading there, and I mentioned it last week, if you stopped reading there, you'd go, what do you know about that? He lived so, so such a short period of time compared to everybody else. But the next verse tells us, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, there's something unique here. Something that we don't see anywhere else. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. It was last life. He was walking with God, and now all of a sudden, he's gone. And it says, for God took him. And that Hebrew word, took him, literally can be translated, translated. He was changed. He was he disappeared, in a sense. He was changed from one place to another. So you could even translate this. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him from one place to another. It's just changed. In the midst of all the death, there's life. There is someone who doesn't die. There is someone who has life, and I think he's a picture of, of eternal life. He's a picture of, even in the midst of death, there is life. And just like it says, in Adam all die, in Christ is all alive. There's this life there. There's this victory over death. And that's what Jesus Christ brings. That's, he's the picture. He's the picture. Jesus Christ is He's the foreshadow here. This Enoch is. He's the foreshadow of our Savior Jesus who comes and brings life. 
He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the life giver. In him was life. Over and over we see that. So Enoch walked with God, and God translated him, changed him. I think I want to look at Enoch just for a second, and we want to look at three things. We want to look at his family, his life, and his end, okay? Let's talk about his family. Is there, yeah, his family. And his family, it's just like all the rest on the list. He has his offspring. And, and if you ever thought about it, Enoch's offspring, Enoch's uh, uh, son was Methuselah. Methuselah was the grandfather of Noah. I mean, think about that. I mean, we, you hear the famous Noah and you hear the famous Methuselah, but Methuselah was the grandfather to Noah. And Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. So when you think about his family, he has the offspring, we see that he's just like everybody else. But then there's a second thing, and that's his life. And when we think about his life, there's two aspects. You see there's a pattern of his life, and there's a message of his life. And you might see... Um, I don't see any message of his life when I read these verses. I see maybe a pattern, but I don't see a message. We'll talk about it. Let's start first with the pattern. And what, the, what was the pattern? He walked with God. Verse 22, Enoch walked with God. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God. It says it two different times in three verses that he walked with God. Marcus Dodge says that this, this term is full of meaning. It has the idea that he was the friend. He enjoyed the company. He was going the same way. They were going the same direction. He was doing what God wanted him to do. And in a sense, we're supposed to walk with God. We're supposed to be in that close personal relationship and fellowship with Him and go where He wants to go and where, whatever He's doing. This is the pattern for believers. We're to maintain that fellowship with God. Ephesians 4.1 says we're to what? Walk worthy of our calling. And I want you to think about that. We're to walk worthy of our calling. And I'm doing that commentary on Ephesians for, that, uh, for the uh, Grace Evangelical Commentary said, and I'm doing Ephesians, and uh, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are who we are in Christ. The last three chapters of how we live because of who we are in Christ. And when you start chapter 4, you start the very practical thing. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, chapter 4, 1 says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the call in which you've been called. To walk worthy. Let's talk about it for just a second. What is the walk of the Christian life? What are we supposed to do? Well, I've got just four or five things for you to think about. The first one is this. It's found in Colossians 2.6. It is a walk of faith. The Christian life is a walk of faith, that we take God at his word, that we believe the word of God, and we live uh, by the scripture. And I, that means that you and I, we go to the scripture, we study the scripture, we see what the scripture says, and then we live it out. One of the things that sometimes people come up to me and they'll say, you know, I've been coming to church. I just started coming to church at Countryside. And one of the things you do that's a little bit different is at the end you do applications. And because they'll say a lot of times I've gone to churches where they don't actually get to the end and say, now here's how we apply this. Well, that's one of the aspects of walking with God and walk of faith is taking the truths of God's word and living them out in our lives. That's what a walk of faith is. And so when we have applications, what we're really saying is, now, this is how you can walk this out in your life. This is how you can have a walk of faith. You take God at his word. There's a second thing. Not only is there a walk of faith, but there's a walk in the spirit. This is how the Christian life is. Galatians 5, when we're talking about, you know, walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16 and 17, for the flesh lust against spirit, spirit against flesh, contrary one to another. So he says, walk in the spirit. You could take the place over in Ephesians where he talked about being filled with the spirit. But the idea is we live in God's power. So we live by God's word. That's the walk of faith. That's the word of God. We walk in God's power. We live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you could say the Christian life is a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the word 
of God. That's the key. And that's what people, I, I always say, you know, I, I have two things that I always say over and over that, you know, help people put the Bible together. I always say, what's the story of the Bible? Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. But I also say that the Christian life is a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. It's really simple, but that's exactly what it is. A walk of faith based on the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what is this Christian life? Faith, power of the Holy Spirit. There's a third thing. And that is, in Romans 6, 4, he says, walk in newness of life. Because we died and rose again with Christ. We're new people. I, I think that this is the why the book of Romans, I think, is so transforming and so powerful that we have to grasp the fact that according to Romans, we died and were buried and rose again with Christ to a new life. We are not who we used to be. Therefore, we cannot live how we used to live because we're not who we used to be. That's what Bill Lawrence always said. But it's a walk in newness of life. We've been born again to a new life, and we live not for ourselves but for God. And so we walk in newness of life. And so think about it. It's a walk of faith based on the Scripture. It's a walk in the power of the Holy Spirit because you can't do it in your own power. It's with, apart from Him, you can do nothing. In Christ, you can do all things. It's newness of life. And I tell you, when, when you really begin to realize that we are new people, that we're not the same. Now, we can still live the same. We still have the flesh. We still have the natural bent to sin. But we are a new creation in Christ. We've been born again. That's what Paul keeps saying. Things like, uh, it is the new me. It is, uh, you know, that's not me. This is me. And uh, so the bottom line is we're a new person in Christ. There's a fourth aspect of the walk, and that's walk in good works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works that he planned beforehand that we would walk in them. Walk in good works. In a church like ours in which we really emphasize the grace of God, sometimes we're afraid to talk about good works because we're afraid people are going to think we're talking about good works for salvation. We have to make the distinction. We should do good works. We should be the best people in this town of doing good works, not because it has anything to do with eternal life salvation. It has to do with our testimony. It has to do with walking in the, the, the right way. As, as, as Enoch walked with God, we want to walk with God. We want to walk in faith, walk by faith, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, walk in newness of life walk in doing good works so we should be characterized by good works and, and I've talked to people about that and they'll say all you people think about is grace, 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 grace that's right but it's the grace of God you do good works because he's the one that empowers you based on the word of God we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that we might walk in them we should be characterized by doing good to all people especially the household of faith. That's what it says. Last but not least is, uh, I think there should be one more. Isn't there a five? There's not a five. There's not a five. There's supposed to be a five, which is Ephesians 4, 1, which goes back to the one we started with, and we walk worthy as a child of God. We walk worthy as a child of God. So, number one, as we walk in faith. Number two, walk in the Spirit. Number three, walk in newness of life. Number four, walk in good works. And number five, walk as a child of God, which is a worthy walk. And it is powerful. Now, with that in mind, with that worthy walk, I, I do have a thing to tie in with it. Because Ephesians uh, 4 talks about, uh, talks about uh, Ephesians 4, 1, walk worthy of calling what you've been called. You get over to chapter 5, and he gives you three aspects of walking worthy. 
And I think it's right there. It's walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. Sometimes just go, and I didn't even give you the verses. Uh, one's verse 5, one's verse 2, one's verse 5, one's verse 8, I think, or later 2, 8, and verse 16, but, but I can't remember them exactly. But you can go to Ephesians chapter 5, and you can see where he says walk in love which is love to others. You can see walk in light, which is holiness and righteousness. He says walk in wisdom, which is the application of God's truth. And so when you think about this Christian life, that it is a walk in faith, in the spirit, in a new life, in good works, walking worthy, loving, purity, and wisdom. Elizabeth Elliot, when we talk about wisdom, I, I liked her quote, I read something one time where she said, Wisdom comes from obedience which is recognizing the truths of God's Word and obeying them. A lot of times we'll say wisdom is the application of God's truth. See, you can know something but not apply it, and that's not necessarily wisdom. Because somebody says, oh, I'm wise because I know it. Well, wisdom is actually the application of knowledge. You know, And so, uh, are we, are we, and are you walking worthy of the calling which you've been called? Are you walking by faith? which is taking God at His Word? Are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the power on which you can obey Him? Are you walking in a new life, a newness of life, because you died and rose again with Christ? Are you walking in doing good works? You know, you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, that you would walk in that. And then are we walking worthy of our calling, which means walking in love, walking in purity, that's, that's light, and then walking in wisdom. There's an old saying that says you can't pour deep spirituality into a shallow life. And uh, I, I would say for, for myself and for some others, we, we have shallow lives. That if we really want to, to make an impact for Christ, we're going to have to walk worthy. We're walking in faith and spirit and, the whole, and new life and good works and love and purity and wisdom. And we want to be like an Enoch who walked with God. And, and it says, and all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, because God took him. God translated him. God brought him with him somehow. And we don't really know where he went. You know, people say, well, he went up to heaven. Well, sin had not been paid for. And as great a man as Enoch was, he's a sinner. So wherever he went, maybe he went to the heart of the earth in, in the paradise place. We just don't know. Eugenia Price said this, we have to get a hold of the truth. There are no little things with God. We sometimes say in our life, it doesn't matter if I do this, or it doesn't matter if I do this, or it doesn't matter here. Nobody cares. God cares. And He wants us to be righteous and godly and holy and special people and set apart for Him. And so when we see Enoch, we see this pattern who walked with God. Now, remember I said there were two things. We see the pattern of his life, but you know what the second thing was? And it's his message. Now you say, I don't see Enoch's message in here. You don't have Enoch's message in this passage. All you got is that Enoch lived lived 365 years, had Methuselah, and then, and then he was gone. How do we know what his message was? I got right there that he proclaimed the coming of the Messiah. How do I know that Enoch proclaimed the coming of the Messiah? Let me show you. Just hold your place. And turn to the book of Jude. Go all the way over almost to the very end of the Bible. First and second Peter. And then you get to the book of Jude. And Jude doesn't have but one chapter. So I want you to look at verse 14. And we're going to see that Enoch prophesied. Enoch gave a message. We don't have it recorded in the scripture. Except we have it where Jude tells us what it was. 
And look what it is. If you would, just you know, I hope everybody's over there, almost to the very back of the Bible, to the book of Jude. Look at verse 14. It was about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, that's who he is, prophesied. What did Enoch say? Saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they had done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He prophesied about the coming of the Lord. Now, there's two ways to take this passage. Some say that he's talking about a prophecy of the future, that he's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ to judge the world, to execute judgment upon the ungodly for their ungodly deeds, which they've done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There is another aspect of this, and if you notice, the New American Standard says, Behold, the Lord came. And when some say that, they see that this may be a prophecy of the future. And he can say came because sometimes the prophecies are spoken of as if they've already fulfilled. And so that could be the second coming of Christ. There is another view that says that when the Lord prophesied about him coming with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment, some are saying that those thousand ones are angels and that his coming there was the flood. Now, I don't hold to that view. I just want you to know about it because sometimes you'll read it and it says came and you may say, well, that seems to be past tense when Enoch spoke it. But what the best we can tell is there's two views. One is that maybe it's the coming of the judgment during the flood, which I don't hold to, but some do. The second one is is the prophecy of his coming with thousands of his holy ones. Who do you think that is? And when do you think that is? That's, that's got to be what? That's us. Yeah, that's us coming with him at the second coming in which he's going to execute judgment upon all and convict the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they've done in an ungodly way. Do you think he likes the word ungodly and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him? You know what the message was? And we'll just take it in the, the normal way to take it. Is that Enoch prophesied that the Messiah would come and judge the world. Long before the Messiah came. So go back to Genesis chapter 5. And as I told you that when we look at this man, Enoch, we see a pattern which is his lifestyle, which is walking with God. But we see his message. It's a message of judgment. The Messiah is coming. And there will be judgment. So we saw his family, like everybody else. We saw his life, which was the pattern and the message. The last thing that we want to see is his end. And that's the translation. I want you to look at it again at verse 24. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. God literally changed him from one place to another. Does that happen in the scripture very often? You know that... um, there was a uh, an evangelist by the name of Philip. And God told him to go down. He was told by the Spirit to go down along the, the Gaza way and to wait. And the Ethiopian eunuch was coming from Jerusalem, going back to Egypt. And he was standing there and he met him. And the Ethiopian eunuch was reading the scripture, coming back in his caravan. And Philip went over and talked to him and asked him, did he understand what he was reading? Because he was reading Isaiah 53. And the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip, how can I know unless somebody's helping me? And so he got up in with him and he read the scripture. And the guy says to, to Philip, who is this guy talking about? 
Who's Isaiah talking about, himself or someone else? And Isaiah was talking about Christ, Jesus. And so here Philip explains it to him. And then they, and this guy believes in the Messiah, believes in Christ. And they get to a place and they said, oh, there's water. What's stopping me from getting baptized? So they get out of the chariot and Philip baptizes him. And when he gets through baptizing him, suddenly the Lord takes Philip and he disappears and puts him in another city. Just like that. And it says that the eunuch went, well, what do you know about that? And then he gets back on the chariot and goes. So sometimes God takes people every now and then and he moves them somewhere else. And he took Philip and just moved him. In fact, the way it's written in the Greek in, that, in the book of Acts, it happens just like that. He just takes him. This passage says, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Just moved him. Translated him. Moved him from one. He went to be with God somehow without what? Without dying without physically dying and uh, and by the way this is the same word used same aspect same word used in second kings chapter 3 when elijah is translated into heaven by the chariot where he says the chariot comes down and picked him up and took him translated him took him away we see a hope that death's not the end that there is life Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, has made the payment for sin and has conquered death. And there'll be a time there'll be no death. Enoch is a picture of one who walks with God who never dies. Uh, l- let me read something to you, just, and I'll go real quickly because time is almost up and we want to see the, the, just a little bit about, about Noah. But in Hebrews 11, verse 5, it says this, By faith, Enoch was taken up so he had not seen death. And he was not found because God took him up. And that's a quote from Genesis. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Enoch was a special man because he was pleasing to God, because he was walked by faith and he lived by faith. And that's a picture for us that we want to be pleasing to God and we want to walk by faith. And there's victory over death. Now, let's look real quickly at the rest. We go... Through uh, verse 25, Methuselah, that's the son of Enoch. And Methuselah lived 187 years and he became the father of Lamech. And uh, Methuselah lived 782 years after he became the father of Lamech. And he had other sons and daughters. All the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Even though he is old, the oldest person, he still died. And then we see, and of course I had that, yeah, Methuselah there. Then the next is Lamech. Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now that's a little bit different. This verse is written different than some of the others because they'll say, and this person listened, he became the father of Jared, and he became the father of Enoch, and he became the father of Methuselah. This says he became the father of a son. He didn't name the name right then. He waits to the next verse. Who's the son? Now he called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. He says, this man's name means rest. That's what Noah means. The Hebrew root word, I think there's Noah. Is there another? Yeah, he called him Noah. The word really means rest. The one who's going to rest. He's going to give rest. And, and we're going to see there's something coming there. In fact, if you take Methuselah's name, which means, you know, this, there's something coming or that this is when he dies, this will come. The whole idea says it's pointing to the time of Noah and the flood is going to come and there's going to be the rest there because Noah's going to give rest to those, to the world. Because it says, from the toil of our hands, from the ground which the Lord has cursed. 
God's going to curse the ground. He's already done that, but he's going to bring and do something different. Now, let me show you something. We'll get this next time. Look over in chapter 6. Look at verse 8. Just kind of flip over if your Bible's like mine. I have to turn a page. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. But Noah found favor, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Because he's been talking about the wickedness of man and how every thought and intent upon man was evil. Let me ask you something. Did Noah think wicked thoughts? Yeah. Did it, it said every person did, didn't it? I mean, do you think wicked thoughts? How many of you in here think wicked thoughts? And if you don't raise your hand, you lied. And so that's wicked. Okay, now... Um, But Noah found what? Grave, grace and favor. So Noah deserved this, right? Uh-uh. How many of you deserve the grace of God? If it's grace, you can't what? Deserve it. Right. Now these are the records of the generations of Noah. Look what it says about Noah. Noah was a what? A righteous man. What does that mean? He was a what? How do you get righteousness? Righteousness comes by faith. He's a believer. He's a righteous man, blameless in his time. And Noah did what? Walked with God. We're going to see him. And and we're going to see rest comes from walking with God and living righteously and blamelessly. And there's some great things there. We'll see it. So back at verse uh, back 32, we'll get back uh, there. Uh, well, no, let me go back because I, I missed the verses. Go back again to chapter 5. He says, He called his name Noah. This one will give us rest. Verse 30, Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah and his other sons and daughters. All the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. Noah was 500 years old and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, let me ask this question and I'm just going to throw this out. He was 500 years old when he had Hamsham and Japheth, right? Do you think he had any other kids before that? It doesn't say anything about it, but he may have. Everybody always says, well, he only had three sons. We don't know. We know that there are three sons that are going to be with him on the ark. They got, they got three wives, three sons, three wives, Noah and his wife, so there's eight people that get on the ark. We don't know whether Noah had any other children, sons and daughters, and, and whether they, any of them believed or anything. But we know of at least the three sons and the three wives and Noah's wife and him that got on that ark because they believed God. And see, Noah found grace. It's very powerful. Noah was 500 years old, became the father of Shem and Ham and Japheth. There's some great things there. What have we seen? We've seen Abraham, Adam's generation through Seth. Adam was made in the likeness. Adam made in God's likeness produced children in his likeness. We see the pattern there that in Adam all die, the results of sin and fall. We see the hope because Enoch walked with God and that the pattern of his life walking with God and his message that God was going to judge and his end that he was translated and we see the whole victory over death. But then we also see Noah who's rest and he foreshadows the rest of Jesus Christ because the curse is going to be lifted. That's really the foreshadow. There's going to be a curse lifted from the earth one day and there'll be rest upon the earth. And that's Noah's pointing to Jesus who's the one who ends the curse and brings rest to mankind some great things. Let me give you some applications. We'll go quickly. Realize the consequences of sin. What is it? In Adam, fall die. That's what it is. We come into the world spiritually dead. Every one of us in this room, we came into the world spiritually dead. We're fallen. We're in the likeness of Adam. And, and we, as much as we have to, as much as we think about it, we have to teach our children right from wrong. And whenever anyone dies physically, 
we can say that's the consequences of sin. Because we die, we're dead spiritually when we come in this world. Now, we may be made spiritually alive, but we're still going to die physically because that consequences is there until the ultimate resurrection of all people. Second, there is hope in God. There is. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and dealt with sin and has given mankind hope. We see it in two lives. We see it in Enoch who gives eternal life. He's got the victory over death. In fact, he never dies physically in that sense. But then we see Noah rest, peace with God, and rest. And by faith in Jesus Christ that we have victory over death, over sin and death, and we have the great peace. Uh, and, and having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I hope and pray, and, and I know every one of you, So, uh, but the thought would be that I hope all of us have come to the one who gives hope, Jesus Christ. Oswald Chambers says, It is not my obedience that puts me right with God, but my faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose for me. Jonathan Edwards said this, All that we have, this eternal life, comes from God through the Mediator, Jesus Christ. It's very powerful. There's a third thing I want you to think about, and that is let's walk with God. Remember the pattern? A life pattern by faith, by the Spirit, and the new life for good works, walking worthy in light and love and wisdom. So we want to do that. We want to live a life of faithfulness and blamelessness, obedience, inspectors, and be walking in faith, taking God at His Word, living in the power of the Holy Spirit, living in the fact that we're new creations in Christ, doing good to all men, especially the household of faith, and living a life of wisdom, walking worthy of light, love, and wisdom. That's our pattern. The second thing is our message. Let's proclaim the coming of the Lord for people to trust in Him. And of course, we we want people to trust in Him, and, and I don't know how that's written. That's not exactly what I wanted to say, because I don't want to say trust in Him at His return. We want people to trust in Him before He comes back. So proclaiming the coming of the Lord, the whole idea is trusting in Him as Savior, because He's going to return. And when He returns, uh, for especially now, if He returns in the clouds, we're gone out. When He returns the second time, He's coming in a judgment. And Enoch even prophesied. We don't have it in the Scripture, not back in Genesis. We don't have it, but we have it in the the book of Jude where Jude says, here's what Enoch talked about. And he talked about God, Jesus Christ, coming to, to judge the world. We want to be faithful. May we realize the consequences of sin and we come to the hope of life and rest in Jesus Christ. And we live a life walking Uh, with our great God, our pattern of walking worthy and proclaiming the message of salvation. Let's pray. We'll open up for any questions or comments that you might have. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for these great truths. And Lord, we just, we want our lives to count for you. We realize that sin destroys and then Adam all die and we come into this world dead and trespass and sins, but we realize there's hope. There's the hope of eternal life as Enoch showed the victory over, over sin and death in that sense. We see Noah, the one who brings peace and rest. And Lord, we know that in Jesus Christ, that's what we have, the peace and the rest and the hope. Lord, we want to, as believers, we want to walk with you in the same way that Enoch walked with God and Noah walked with God. Lord, we want to walk that way. We want to have a pattern of a life, of, of a walk of faith and a power of the Holy Spirit and, and, and living a new life as those who are new creations in Christ and, and living in such a way that we do good to all people and we live worthy in light and love and wisdom. Lord, we have a message. And the message is that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And the first time he came, he came to die. And the second time he comes, he comes to judge. And so, Lord, may we be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within us. And may we live a life walking with you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.